Welcome to Move Forward Radio, a show featuring interviews with physical therapists and other healthcare experts. This program is brought to you by MoveForwardPT.com, the official consumer information website of the American Physical Therapy Association. Learn how physical therapists can help people of all ages and abilities reduce pain and improve and restore motion to achieve long-term quality of life at MoveForwardPT.com. Welcome to Move Forward Radio. I'm Jason Bellamy. Chronic diseases are widespread in this country. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention estimates that almost half of adults have at least one chronic health condition, and a quarter of adults have two or more. Chronic diseases are often deadly, responsible for seven of the top 10 causes of death in the United States, with heart disease and cancer alone accounting for nearly 48% of all deaths. Chronic diseases and conditions are expensive, accounting for 86% of our nation's total health care costs. But here's some good news. Chronic diseases are largely preventable. In today's episode of Move Forward Radio, we'll talk to physical therapist Mike Eisenhart about chronic disease prevention, both in terms of a physical therapist's role in preventing chronic disease and in terms of our own personal role taking responsibility for our long-term health. Here's our interview with Mike Eisenhart. Mike, we're going to talk about chronic disease prevention today. Let's first define in general what we're talking about. When we talk about chronic disease, what does that include? Chronic disease includes just about everything that we face, especially as Americans, but really all over the world. It's all of the disease states. I mean, officially, anything that's long-term and lasting could be considered a chronic disease. So even though we would maybe even consider injuries not a chronic disease, anything that's long-lasting and, you know, potentially terminal would be considered a chronic disease. The most classic, the ones that we really talk about and see most frequently are things like heart disease, diabetes, cancer, and the related. Those are, are probably the most common. So those are out there and there is diversity. Is there any general rule? I mean, are all chronic diseases preventable? Are most chronic diseases preventable? Well, it depends on who you read, but for most folks, the belief is generally around that 80-20 split, that 80% or more are preventable. The one that's most well-studied because it's the, you know, biggest killer in America and has been for really for a very long time is heart disease. And, you know, we now know that as much as 80 or 90 percent of heart disease cases are preventable. So there are certainly, you know, it's hard to say absolute that you could say, well, they're, they're all preventable. That's a hard statement to make, I think, for anyone. But the vast majority, that's a pretty easy statement to make. So heart disease is one. What are some of those other big ones that are preventable? Some forms of cancer, for sure, are preventable in sort of how your genes express themselves, and, and that's a big important one. Diabetes and, and metabolic disease, that's kind of like the oncoming tidal wave that most people in sort of the population health or the public health arena are bracing for because we see the change that's happening, a disease state that follows some of the crises that we're facing. That's definitely one that is highly preventable. One of the chronic diseases that's preventable as physical therapists we see every day is back pain. That is, without a doubt, it's the most disabling condition on the planet, has been for a very, very long time, and yet we know that in most cases it's preventable. So the statistics about chronic disease are pretty staggering. They count for 86% of our nation's total health care costs. One in four adults have two or more chronic health conditions. When you hear these as a physical therapist, what do you think of those numbers? After I sort of pick myself up off the floor, it sort of knocks me out of my chair every time I hear it, I really come back to the conclusion that that's not good enough. Quite simply, we can do better. And I don't mean we just the professionals. I mean we overall, everyone. 
you know, society at large, customers and consumers, people who we serve as professionals, and the professionals in general. We have to look at that and say, it's just not acceptable. You know, um, we, we wouldn't accept that many deaths from any other infectious condition or, or any kind of natural disaster. I mean, that would be world news. We'd be talking about it every single moment of every day. We would be having, you know, the equivalent of grand challenges and putting people on the moon and those kinds of efforts. But we seem to just have accepted this. It's just normal. It's getting old. It's dying. And, and we just know that's not the case. And so it, it's staggering. And, you know, it's a passionate thing for me. But I look at it and say, look, we can do better. And the science is there. Professionals are there. The information is there. It's just a matter of making it work. You mentioned low back pain earlier. It's a chronic condition that PTs see all the time. I think that's a condition that a lot of people associate with physical therapy. My back hurts. My physical therapist can help me. But what are some other ways that PTs see patients who have chronic diseases, and how do they usually get to PTs? Is it because I have X, it's a chronic disease, I need a PT for this? Or is it more like I have a chronic disease and therefore I have this symptom and my PT can help me with that? Again, I realize we're generalizing here and there are lots of different answers, but give me a sense of that. So typically, I would say, and if we were to play the average game, you know, most people are going to walk in with some kind of a pain condition. And the PT, and especially the folks who are really on sort of the progressive end of, of healthcare in general, and I include most PTs in that statement, are looking at it and saying, well, you know, you, you have this pain. The pain is a symptom for sure, and we want to make sure that that's better, but it may not be the cause of your disease. You know, it's not the end all. We've got to kind of keep peeling this back until we get to what caused this abnormal response, right? If we consider pain to be sort of an abnormal thing, like your brain is lighting up and it's saying, hey, you hurt. Why? You know, sometimes those are just strictly mechanical. You know, things are just rubbing funny and a PT can help you move. And I would imagine that most folks are getting to PT for that reason. But we're seeing a shift, thankfully. You know, people are starting to realize that being on multiple medications for the rest of their life with really only symptom control as their sort of end hope, it's just not good enough. And they're realizing that the last 10 years of having low quality of life, like that's not what they wanted in their golden years. And so people are starting to get to PTs because we're not prescribing medications either by license or by just that that's sort of not our training. That's not what we do. So they're saying, well, I don't want those medications in the first place. I want a better lifestyle. And so there's this whole brand of PT that's kind of beginning to build and swell of, hey, let me help you fix your lifestyle. And we fix all those other problems. You know, we're getting at the cause, we're getting at the root, and we can sort of make those changes. So I think many times people present initially with a, I hurt, and then it's sort of as we uncover those layers, we get into, well, why? Why do you hurt? And some of that may be your weight. Some of that may be that your body is just not circulating blood flow the way it should. Some of that may be that you're just not tolerating exercise. You can't move well, and you know, and you sort of get this entire laundry list of things that could be contributing. And then how do we attack it in a conservative way? So let's talk about that lifestyle thing again. I mean, one of the great things about physical therapy is that it can really be tailored to the individual and their specific needs. So there's not necessarily a cookie-cutter approach for every physical therapist or every patient with a condition. So let's talk about from you and your practice how you approach it. You know, when a patient comes to you, whether they come because they have a specific problem, do you back them out into this lifestyle view? How do you begin to think bigger and work on truly prevention for other things and not just treating the problem that came before you? For us, we try to introduce that as a concept early. I guess we've sort of beat this drum enough times that most people that wind up with us, you know, specifically at our facility or working with us maybe at their employer, they know that this is our mantra, right? They know this is our soapbox, so they know they're going to get some of that. But early on, when we were really sort of coming to the conclusion, that's what we did as professionals, you know, we kind of got to the conclusion of, look, we're missing a big chunk of the problem if we only talk about your pain as it stands today. You know, we've got to get to the root. So when we sort of committed to that internally, it winds up being part of the conversation. And although we may start someone with, hey, I want to help you with why you came here, but I want it to be cured. I want it to be fixed. 
like forever and ever. I don't want you to say, yeah, like I know what to do, and as long as I only do my exercises, I'm kind of okay. I want it to be, look, I'm able to be the best version of me, and moving better is one of those critical components, and healing faster and recovering better and all of those other things allow me to be the me that I want to be. So as a consumer, we're sort of working that into the conversation, and although it sometimes is not always met with welcome ears, we'll often say, hey, we've got to address these things. We don't have to address them now. We'll, we'll start one by one. It's, we can't have this be overwhelming, but we're going to have to get there if we really want to fix the problem. And, you know, I work for you. You know, as a professional, you know, I say to my clients all the time, like, you're my boss right now. I work for you. And I want to give you the very best end product I can give you. And that means I've got to address these things as a professional. So let me let you climb up on that soapbox now. Let's say I'm a 50-year-old male who walks into your clinic. I've got knee that's hurting me, that's keeping me from biking, which is something I love to do, or running or, or something like that. It's bothering me. You know, you're going to look at that, obviously. But then when you climb up on the soapbox and you start looking bigger, what are the things that you're going to talk about? Well, so if it's a 50-year-old male, the first thing that I would probably do is say, well, if I had it my way, I would come find you instead of waiting for you to come to me. Because we know men don't seek professional help for a very long time. So if you're coming to me with that achy knee, you're dragging that thing in. And it's really a mess. So that'd be the first thing I would try to do. But if you got that far, then we would say, okay, great. Let's talk about all these factors that play in. You know, and then we kind of try to get into what exactly are you trying to accomplish here? You know, and, and you've already sort of clued me in as well. I, I want to run or I want to cycle or I want to, you know, do the things I like to do. It's not just simply getting to work and getting home every day. 50-year-old male, prime earning years, you know, kind of in the midst of their career, usually some stress, probably has had 10 years of kind of like, yeah, I'm feeling a little run down and I'm not keeping up and I've got family to take care of and I've got a job and I've got all these other things, so probably stressed on time. And we would look at that and say, okay, what's the picture of you? Like what's in your head, in your mind, the vision of you personally, if you're having the greatest life you can have, what does that look like? And then from there, we want to get into and say, well, is that even possible? Could you even achieve that without better health? You know, is it possible? And almost everybody, if you have that conversation, very rarely does someone say, yeah, my health, I don't need that. Like I can be completely unhealthy and incapacitated that way like, and still live the best version of me. Right, so when we ask people, well, what is it that really is the asset that you need? Almost always health is in there. You know, everybody else says, well, I'd like to win the lottery maybe or I'd like this or I'd like that. Those are nice things, but always I've got to be able to do these things. We've got to be healthy enough to do them. So then we go back and we say, okay, so if you're going to do that, you know, and, and we want to help you get there, and, of course, we believe anybody can do anything. Like, you can achieve your goals. That's, you know, very rarely what I tell you, you can't do it. It's just how much work are you willing to put in. And if you're willing to put in a ton of work and you're willing to do the right work, then we can get you there. But we're going to have to affect all of the three major pillars and really what we call the five major elements, right? So move, fuel, recover, those are the three big ones, and then endure and connect. And so those are the five that we talk about, right? So move, your body's got to move like a body should. You know, it's built to move a certain way. It's got to move the right way or as close as we can get to it. At 50, there might be some things we can't fix, quote, unquote, but we can certainly teach you to move and work with them. Fuel, you've got to respect the fact that this machine has to work hard and heal better every single day. So if we're putting in junk, we can't expect this thing to recover the way it should, and we certainly aren't going to be able to push it as hard as you want to to achieve the you in the future. Recovery, we have to respect this, right? Most men, especially 50-year-old men who like to cycle and have a bum knee, they're pushing their bodies pretty hard just because typically stressed-out folks, professionals, whatnot. Many times we have to tell them to back it off. You know, we have to respect rest. It's an important component of training. Any athlete understands this, any top athlete, that's for sure. So the day-to-day -day athlete has to get it too. 
And then Endure and Connect come really into – Endure is about resiliency and stress reduction and controlling sort of the ability of your body to kind of go step forward, step forward, step forward without breaking down. And then finally Connect, you have to have your either your family or your friends or whoever is sort of in your social unit. They've got to be part of this as well. Someone's not going to make a lifestyle change in isolation. It's, it's very, very difficult. But when they have sort of connectedness and people who are cheering them along and helping them when they need to and picking them up and pushing them along, they can do it. That's it. We look at those five things and we say, okay, which ones are strong, which ones are weak, which ones need work, and how do we get there? So it's interesting, you know, the physical therapists or movement experts, I would look at those five and say essentially most people probably come in front of you because they think they have a movement problem or they do have a movement problem. But when you look at those five, is there any one that stands out to you as the area that, say, most people are surprisingly weak? In the fuel area, nutrition and fuel, especially in the U.S., right? I mean, so globally it's, of course, different, you know, in different places. But in the U.S., that is an area we're failing on. There's really no question. And we can't ignore it, and we have to address it. And although typically people don't think of PTs as nutrition folks, and PTs aren't, right? We're not registered dietitians. We're not, you know, people who are nutrition professionals per se. But we also must understand that there's, you know, a component of healing. And, you know, we're folks that deal with the body's ability to recover and heal, whether that be from the day-to-day stresses of life or some injury. Bottom line is, is that fuel plays a component in that. So I would say that's probably the one that jumps off the greatest and it's one that most people accept. Move and fuel are two that we don't get a lot of pushback. Almost everyone knows they should exercise more or better, and most everyone knows they need to eat better. On the recovery side, that's the one that's kind of most interesting, I would say. We're watching it the closest, right? Sleep and, and the effects of not having quality sleep or not having quality recovery. You see that as the performance edge that's on the very cutting edge of athletes and, and sort of how athletes are getting their performance. We know society will follow. Athletes, big professional athletes, that's where the money is, so a lot of times the science follows the money in that regard, and then we can say, well, what did we learn there, and how do we apply that to the day-to-day athlete, which is many times who we treat in sort of lifestyle PT. If people move, fuel, recover, endure, and connect, if they do those things, is that going to have a massive impact on chronic disease prevention in this country? Oh, my gosh. If we had the numbers, if we could get enough people doing that, you could – I don't want to say prevent entirely, but we could make a major dent, like a mind-bending dent. And the research is there. It shows it very, very clearly. You know, I didn't specifically say things like smoking cessation. That's another, of course, very big one. You know, alcohol control is another very big one. Although we often are including that in what we do, those are kind of in that sort of resiliency area. We would often throw that into recover and endure. But those conversations do come up, and they're important. But if we got just those five right, yes. I mean, we've seen it both at the small consumer-by-consumer, patient-by-patient version. We've also seen it in population studies that just show unbelievable, massive change. And uh, it's inspiring, by the same token, just not doing it as a society. And we're losing our edge because of it. You know, I mean, even if you look at the World Economic Forum, I mean, you know, we've slipped. We slipped from, like, 2011 to 2012 from, like, first as far as the most competitive to, like, seventh or something. That's not good enough. We're better than that. And health is the asset that we need to go back and restore. So what needs to change? If all this is out there, it's essentially waiting to be put into motion, more or less. It's not like we need to solve the problem, per se, or learn what the problem is. We know what the problem is. We know how to fix it. But how do we get the 50-year-old, first of all, to not come in only when he's dragging that knee in? How do we get people to decide that chronic disease isn't something they're just going to live with, that they want to make it better? How do we get the right treatment to the right people? How do we fix it? That's definitely a tough question, right? That's a tough nut to crack is how do we get enough people doing it? There's definitely, you know, the idea of incentivization. We're talking about behavior change, really. You know, it's sort of at the bottom line, we're really talking about how do I change? 
you know, how do I get myself to change? How do I get my family members to change? And that's a multifaceted scenario. It really has to be addressed that way. It's, it's got to be comprehensive. There has to be things happening in the workplace. There have to be ha- things happening in the homes, in the communities, in the schools. So probably one of the best things that we can look at is say, well, how do we get people wearing seatbelts more frequently? Or how do we get people stop smoking more frequently? Well, you have to have sort of a multifaceted population level approach. So I could certainly go down what I consider to be a bit of a rabbit hole of, well, it'd be nice if there was some funding for that stuff. You know, I mean, when we're spending 86 cents on every healthcare dollar on dealing with these diseases and only two or three percent, you know, two or three cents on every dollar actually trying to prevent them, that's kind of like, you know, putting our finger in the dam, you know, and hoping for the best. And although we hope that might work, you know, at some point we've got to put some investment behind it. So that's sort of at the political policy side. The other side is we all, everyone has to embrace it. You know, we we need to be talking about this and learning about it and teaching our kids how to do it. And it can't be a, look, do what I say and not what I do. You know, watch me not exercise and smoke a pack a day and eat terribly, but you should eat your salad, kid. Like, it can't be that. It has to be, look, we're on this together. We all want to live our best version of us, and we're going to make a change. And it can be small, right? It doesn't have to be like, yeah, conquer all five elements and nail them down today. Start with something and do it, and do it, and do it. And once it becomes a habit, go on to the next thing. <laughs> and, and that's how we do it, right? That's how change is made. So there's some education, right? We need to be educating, and every one of us, and we have responsibility as professionals, and consumers should, you know, be doing everything they can to learn what quality information is out there. In addition, we have to help people make some small changes and see those victories. You know, in, in our world, we talk about outcomes, same thing, right? Showing results. And then from there, we've got to go one step further and say, how do we help make it permanent? So I'm sure we've touched on some of these things already, but Let's close out with this. Let's do the education thing. If there were two to five things that you sort of wish everybody understood that would help them be healthier, prevent chronic disease, what would those be? So, you know, I put this on the back of my business card for a while because, you know, that was sort of so how do we distill it down and make it easy, you know? And there's varying studies all the time. So these are not absolutes. And I would only kind of qualify that because I don't want anyone to think like this is the only way. It's not. But if I had to pick something, I would say, look, move enough to break a sweat. 150 minutes a week, minimum. Like, I don't care how you do it. You want to walk, walk. You want to get on your treadmill, do it. If you want to, you know, do push-ups, do it. Like, I don't care. Move enough to break a sweat. That's how intense it's got to be. 150 minutes per week. If I had it my way, I would say do something every single day, right? Because, again, we want it to be a habit. We want it to be natural and normal and part of your everyday life forever. So make it a habit. Make it every day. And 150 minutes minimum. I'd love to get that if I had somebody who was saying, yeah, that's great. How do I really help myself change? 150 minutes is really enough to maintain wherever you're at, sort of slow the progression. 300 minutes a week is enough to actually make a change in most of the studies. And, again, you can change your intensity and lower that time, and there's lots of dosage things that we can do as professionals to help you get there. But think that. On the fuel side, minimum, minimum five servings of fruit and vegetables a day, right? Eat more plants. There's no one pushes back on the idea that, in general, we all probably should eat more fruits and vegetables, right? We've known this since we were kids, and although some of us grew up with the idea that this was torture, the science is so clear that eating more fruits and vegetables will make a major difference. In the most recent, I think, Global Burden of Disease study, it showed that fruits and vegetable consumption was considered the number one, the risk factor that if we could change, we would have the greatest impact on chronic disease and disability. So five serving the minimum. The real benefit comes in, again, it's similar to the activity. Five is the minimum, the minimum standard. 10 is really what we should mostly be shooting for as adults, you know, 9, 10 servings. Take, you know, one serving is an apple or an orange, and you're trying to get five of those minimum a day, 10 is even better. And again, it's all plants. So it's not just fruits and vegetables. You can expand that into beans and legumes, you know, to get your protein for people who are concerned about not getting enough protein. And you can go into, uh, you know, uh, nuts and seeds for the people who want quality fat and avocados and 
in recover. Recover is about getting quality sleep and enough of it. Six hours a day, every single day is the bare minimum, and it should be uninterrupted, right? So deep, uninterrupted sleep. It can't just be six hours pieced together in 30-minute naps. It, it really should be deep, quality, uninterrupted sleep. And there's a whole host of things we can do as professionals there, right? Everything from light shining in your room to noises that are waking you up to et cetera, et cetera. Bottom line is six minimum every single night, deep quality. When it comes to Endure, the area that we tend to focus on is two things, right? We need some type of mental decompression, right? And, and I don't say that lightly. People are more depressed and anxious than they've ever been. We know that there are studies out there that show that people are just disengaged with, with life and with work, and they're just unhappy, and that's not acceptable. And so we need downtime. We need time to decompress the system, whether that's get off electronics, literally biologically decompress by don't smoking, get out and take that walk and have some me time, get out in nature, whatever it is, but decompress, endure, you know, teach your body to be resilient. And then finally, connect, make it social, have relationships. We know, uh, you know, there's some really nice work that's been done by National Geographic and the Blue Zone studies, what they call it, and they've shown that some groups of people who live long, healthy lives, the one risk factor that stands out for them is how their tight-knit group of friends interacts. I don't think we give that enough credit on our health. People have good relationships, good quality relationships, spend time, we know is a major impact on health, right? Family dinners make a major difference. So those kinds of things matter, and those would be the items I would focus on. Mike Eisenhart, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Move Forward Radio. Insight from our guest is for informational purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for individual treatment by a medical professional. Learn more about how a physical therapist can help you and find a physical therapist in your area at moveforwardpt.com. For an archive of past episodes, visit moveforwardpt.com radio.